We're so blessed with a strong leadership team. I'm, I'm so thankful to be here with you. I am Kristen. So happy to look out at all of you. Wow, the ministry is thriving and it's beautiful. Praise the Lord. Well, welcome to Sisterhood, Ephesians Lesson 3. This lesson is entitled, The Prayer, The Position, The Response. And in this lesson, we're going to be studying Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, all the way through 2, verse 10. So I want to share with you my goal is for you to understand three things. First of all, spiritual truths are spiritually discerned, okay? Paul prayed for Christians to grasp God's truth by Holy Spirit-inspired revelation. This is far more than an intellectual understanding of biblical truth. The second goal that I have is for you to understand that believers have been granted a spiritual position of authority, which simply must be taken and occupied in order for the church to be victorious. And the third thing that I want you to understand by the time we're finished tonight is that the church is responsible, say responsible, Mm -hmm. to believe and walk in her true identity, just as the word says. So, This is what the Lord has for us today. Does that sound good? You ready? I'm not convinced. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Let's begin. Ephesians 1, 15 through 19. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Let's break this prayer into some smaller pieces and take a look. First of all, God, excuse me, first of all, he's praying that God would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What does this mean? This means that in order to know the Lord more intimately, we ask his Holy Spirit to unveil our hearts, to give us insight as we spend time in the word of God. We can't approach reading the word with this chill, laid-back attitude that we might have when we pick up a magazine or scroll through our phones on some social media platform. No, 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 no. God's word isn't a magazine, and it certainly is not a cell phone. It is not. We need to remember what it is that we hold in our hands as we peer into the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and powerful. Earlier, I just heard someone say that it's right to pray before you read the Bible. And I would say a vehement amen to ask his Holy Spirit for this revelation that is only contained within the pages of Scripture. It's a powerful thing. This word powerful denotes something at work, something that is active and effective The word of God has power in it to change lives. I am not the person I was in 1995 when I gave my life to Jesus. 
I am radically different in my thinking, in my behaviors, in my posture, in my perspective. A totally transformed creature, made new. I'm sure that the testimony is the same as we look out, as I look out over the, the course of the room. I mean, we can all say the same thing. It's his word that changes. There's power in the word to heal people of diseases, to deliver people out of every form of darkness, depression, fear, anxiety. There's power in the active living word of God, and it ought to be handled properly. We ought to come into our time with the, with the word with reverence, a posture of humility, and also great expectation to be expectant and ask Holy Spirit to give us a revelation as Paul prayed. He prays for the spirit of wisdom and revelation with regard to three specific things. And we can see them in verses 18 and 19. And I've actually put little numbers beside each of them. He's praying. He wants us to know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? So first, what does it mean to know the hope of his calling? God's calling is his invitation. It's his summons to come into his family, to be a citizen of his kingdom, a child of God, to receive his love. That is his calling. And having hope is an eager expectation. It's an anticipation, a sit at the edge of your seat sort of a posture. So Paul's praying that children of God would live their lives with an expectation and an anticipation that they are indeed recipients of his kingdom blessings. They're looking for them. Christians should be those of us, we should be those people who are leaning in and expectant and looking for God's favor and God's provision and what's more, his power unleashed in their lives. Hallelujah. Romans 8.30 says, Having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Paul wants the body of Christ to live as if this is true. You know why? Because it is true. Come on. He continues his prayer by saying that he wants the saints. And by the way, when you read the word saints in the New Testament, he, this is a reference to you and me. We are deemed saints. It's part of your identity. You studied identity in week two. Saints aren't some lofty Saint Linda or Saint Teresa or Saint Monica, it's not someone who has achieved a certain status. Saints is a synonym for believers in the new covenant, in the new, church, in the new testament church. And this is important. He wants the saints to really know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. In Romans 8, 16 and 17, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We know this, don't we? An heir is a person who receives an inheritance left from another person. So the things that God granted to Jesus have been granted to all of his children, including the Ephesus church 2,000 years ago and including you and me today in 2023. The father takes care of his children he provides help in times of trouble, Holy Spirit guidance, every need met. 
He provides peace of mind, wisdom, direction, healing, joy, countless other promises. If you found out that you had a distant uncle who had in fact left you a large sum of money as an heir of his estate, would you approach that, that information with just a ho-hum, oh, cool. I hope not. I wouldn't. It's right to gratefully and eagerly accept the uncle's generous gift. The amazing thing about being children of God is that we're also heirs of God as well. So when Paul prays that we'd know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, is, what he's saying is, first of all, believe that we have an inheritance. And secondly, that we'd lay hold of our inheritance. He wants us to be beneficiaries of God's promises. And it all comes, not because of what we do or because of what we deserve, but because we are in his family. Wow. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen, which means so be it to the glory of God through us. So to live in this inheritance, we really must know the promises of God as they're recorded in scripture. And here are just a few of them. I have references listed in the slide as well, and I think in your notebooks. He promises to never leave or forsake you. That's in Joshua 1.5. He promises to provide all of your needs. He promises to direct your steps. He promises to always love you. He promises to heal you and to strengthen you and to protect you. Can you see the value in studying your Bibles? in knowing what is written, amen? If you don't know what God's promises are, then you cannot receive their benefit. And you understand that there is a strategy of the enemy to distract God's people from reading their Bibles. The devil does not want you to apprehend God's promises in your life. He doesn't want you to live in victory and provision and peace of mind. He wants all just the opposite of those things. So of course he's going to try to tell you, you know what, you really don't have time to read your Bible. You really can't fit that in right now. But we mustn't be led off stray, off, off course and astray by the liar. Amen? We don't want to have, for example, to extend the metaphor, a call from the uncle's attorney being told that he's left you this great sum of money and then never taking action to go to the attorney's office and sign the documents and lay hold of what was rightfully yours. God's promises are for you and for me. They are yes and amen. Thirdly, Paul prayed that believers would know the exceeding greatness of God's power. And he was specific in explaining what he meant. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. First of all, his power toward us was originally written as his power to usward. It is coming at and resting in those of us who believe. Pretty awesome. God's power comes at and rests upon and resides in the believer. How? Just by believing. Another thing to note, Paul prayed that we would know the greatness of God's power according to, which means in the same measure as, to the exact degree as the working 
of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Wow. Think about this. We're talking about the power that was required to raise Jesus from the dead. Resurrection power. Overcoming power. Victorious power. The Amplified Bible says it this way, so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable, unlimited, and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe. Can you identify? Are you a believer? Come on, ladies. Are you a believer? Then we're talking about this. You're qualified. His power is in and for you personally. Take it. Receive this truth. Hallelujah. Those tiny words, in and for. It's just so significant. We can't overlook this. This immeasurable, unlimited power that Paul speaks of, you know what? It's not just nebulously floating around somewhere. Nor is it power that was exerted when Christ was raised from the dead, but then it petered out over time. Mm-mm. No, this same power, the Bible says, is actually in us. And it's for us. This should draw at least a smile on your face. You guys, this is amazing. God intends that his children, that's us, that we benefit from and exhibit his power in our day-to-day living. I'm reminded of 25 years ago. I know that's a long time. And I'm only 26, so this is crazy that I could remember something. But 25 years ago, the Holy Spirit was downloading this truth from this, this (laughs) this distant time in my life. I was stirred by these scriptures to receive this and to believe that, in fact, God wanted me to know his power. And Keith and my husband Keith and I had been going to a Sunday afternoon Bible study, and we were looking forward to going that day. But our almost two-year-old Noah was down for the count. He was asleep on the sofa in our living room. He had a high fever. And so I was feeling very disappointed, you know, like, oh, shoot, I'm, mm, should I call the babysitter and cancel? I probably should. This doesn't look good. But then this truth was stirring on the inside of me. The Holy Spirit revealed some things to me about God's immeasurable power. And this revelation came alive in me. And I thought, well, I can pray for a demonstration of God's mighty power right now over my little one. And so I did. And right in that very moment, nothing appeared to happen. (laughs) But I knew what I knew, and God was not done. You see, the Bible study was to start at 5. You know what happened at 4 o'clock? Little Noah got off the couch and asked for a snack, and he drank some juice, and he began to play. And mommy put her cheek against his. And that boy was cool like a cucumber. And the, and the thermometer confirmed, in fact, that the fever had broken. And so the babysitter came, and Keith and I went to Bible study. Praise the Lord. Let me ask you, does your life reflect the power of God? Hmm? Are you even mindful that it should Do you believe that it could? 
Right now, I want to see you nodding. Yes, Kristen, I'm receiving what you're saying. I believe that it could. Yes, yes, yes. We need to consider God's power at work in us a little more frequently, don't we? Yes, Christ, the hope of glory is in us. That's Colossians 1.27. God's power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Jesus came to give us life in abundance to the full till it overflows. We've overcome evil because the spirit who lives in us is greater than the one who's in the world. God gives life to the dead, and he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Scripture makes it very clear. The power of God is in us and for us. Say amen. I encourage you to use this Ephesians prayer. Use it as a template. Pray it over yourself in the morning. Pray it over yourself in the evening. Pray it over your family. Pray it over your loved ones. Pray it over the church. And I'm going to pray right now. Father, we agree God, I'm asking, Lord, to fill your church with wisdom and revelation about the hope of your calling, what it means to be in your family, the riches of the glory of your inheritance through your fulfilled promises, God, and the exceeding greatness of your power at work in and for us. Father, we love being your children, and we dare tonight to say we believe, we believe what your word says. Be glorified in and through us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The second theme is that your position is to be seated in your God-given place of authority. Now, I want you to, I'm going to ask you to just allow some imagery to develop as I'm reading this passage, okay? Verses 20 to 22. He raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. A few things to note. The phrase heavenly places isn't only talking about heaven, the place of God's throne or the home of the redeemed where people who know Jesus go for eternity. The Greek word for heavenly places is referring to invisible realms. It's the spirit realm that surrounds our present daily situations, even right now, okay? This phrase heavenly places refers to an arena or sphere of spiritual activity things that we cannot see with our natural eyes and nonetheless it is very real so while we do live and move on this earth in a natural sense we also and more importantly move within spiritual heavenly places verse 21 speaks to the authority that Jesus has He's been seated in this place of authority. And he's seated beside the Father and far above every other power. Think of it. We sing the song, right? All thrones and dominions, all powers and positions, your name stands above them all. Right? We love this song. We sing it often. Jesus rules and reigns. His name is higher. He is above all the other. In verse 21, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named. The terms principality and power and might and dominion refer to ruling authorities. 
in invisible and visible realms. But perhaps maybe some of you don't know this, but there is, in fact, an invisible hierarchy of evil powers that work in conjunction with the devil to manipulate and deceive human behaviors. In other words, Satan has evil spirit helpers working to advance his schemes and strategies. But we don't have to fret over this because Jesus is above every single one of them. He has authority over those evil powers. Look at what he says in Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now back to Ephesians 1, Why did God seat Jesus far above and give him all authority and put everything else under his feet? Why? And why does he call Jesus the head of the body, which is the church? You and I are the church. We're the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. What is the implication of this? What does it mean for the church to be the fullness of him? For one thing, Paul is saying that the church is intended to display the physical presence of Jesus Christ on earth. Wow. Each member in the body of Christ, every single one of us, is to be filled with him by the power of the Holy Spirit and is assigned by the Lord to represent him to society. And I want to say that this goes well beyond being kind and nice. And we love that Jesus was kind and nice. He was a lamb. But you know that our Savior was also, is also a lion. And he exemplified the very power I'm talking about. Hmm. We're on this planet to minister his love and his power to those around us. How does God enable us to do this? It starts with a revelation that Jesus has been placed far above powers and principalities. But then you know what else? He needs, we need also to receive revelation that Jesus doesn't sit far above powers and principalities by himself. Mm -mm. We actually accompany him there. What? Let's skip to Ephesians 2, 4, and 6 for further understanding. But God, Paul writes, raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice, Paul's written this in the past tense. He raised us up together and made us sit together with Jesus in this sphere of spiritual action and activity. It has already been done. You see, God has seated us with Jesus in this place of spiritual authority and dominion above every name and every evil spirit that is at work in the heavenly realm, in the spirit realm. This is the spiritual authority of us as Christians. And from this place then of partnership, God grants that we share in the work of his kingdom's power. So according to James 5:16, we pray powerful, effective prayers of faith that bring about God's will as it is in heaven, released to earth. We lay hands on the sick and they do recover. 
We overcome the Satan's schemes by applying the blood of Jesus and providing word of our testimony of victory. This is interesting. In Matthew 10, verses 1 through 8, we can read, and we're not going to go there now, but I encourage you to do this. We read that Jesus called the 12 disciples together, and he delegated the same power that he himself possessed. All right? And, and he, his intention there was that his ministry could be advanced through his followers. He said this to them in Matthew 10, 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. That was what he had been operating in, and he gave that power to them and told them to go do it. And upon returning from their mission, they were astounded in having witnessed his power moving through them. And they said to him, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Listen to his reply, Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. These serpents and scorpions are symbols of spiritual enemies and demonic power. The fact that Jesus gave his disciples authority to trample on these powers infers that they were above them. You don't trample what you're beneath. Ha <laughs> ha! Seated above with Jesus. Many Christians, sadly, know nothing about the authority of the believer. Listen, this is good news. We are no longer at the cross. And while, yes, 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 we were crucified with Christ, guess what? We have also been raised up together with him. It's just that we haven't known this. There's been a lack of revelation of this truth. This is changing. We have seats at the right hand of God we have seats. It's time we take them. Amen? Amen? And let's see that the enemy's power has been put already under our feet. We simply believe this. We exercise our faith and our spiritual authority that has been granted to us. What might this look like? Consider the following scenarios. When you sense your child is being afflicted by a spirit of fear, you use the authority that he has given you to refuse that spirit of fear from operating and instead declare the peace of Jesus Christ over her. You declare what the word says, that she's not been given a spirit of fear. See, God didn't give her a spirit of fear, and so you have the authority to reject a spirit of fear over your daughter or son. Instead, you say, I, can, I declare what the Bible says, that my child has power and love and a sound mind. That's 2 Timothy 1.7 and John 14.27. If you find yourself in a dangerous situation, you're, you need to just practice this presence of God and understand that every strategy of the enemy that's intended to take you down is beneath your feet because you were seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You use your authority to confidently declare what God says, that there is no weapon that is formed against you that can prosper, according to Isaiah 54, 17. And what's more, God commands his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. That's Psalm 91, 11 and 12. Whether you've heard this truth before or not, today is the day to respond to what the word of God says is true. So your response your response has got to be to believe in it. To believe in what has been spoken and to live according to your God-given identity. Isaiah 2, sorry, 
Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I'm going to, for the sake of time, just highlight some things. The first several verses are speaking of what a mess we used to be. We were in the dark, but now he's made us alive and brought us into light. God made us alive together with Christ. These are the scriptures I referenced before. Having given us a place in the heavenly with Jesus, far above powers and principalities. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, the interesting thing about verse 10 is that so often we think about this in terms of our talents and our giftings, and we might say, oh, I'm his workmanship and he's put a gift in me, and so this is going to propel me down a certain career path or a volunteer position, and that's great, but there's so much more. Have you ever wondered what exactly Jesus meant when he said, that what the disciples saw him do, they would do as well. In John 14, 12, this is Jesus speaking. He says, most assuredly, in today's vernacular, he might have said, for real, honestly, listen to me. I say to you, he who believes in me. Right there, that's the qualifier. So when I say that portion of the scripture, something, the Lord on the inside of you, Holy Spirit on the inside of you should say, that's me. I qualify. Yep. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. What works had the disciples seen Jesus do? He healed people. He worked miracles. He spoke the wisdom of God and solved disputes among the people. He operated in the prophetic. He gave words of wisdom and words of knowledge by the power of the Holy Spirit. He ministered wholeness and completeness, zoe, fullness of life wherever he went. Now get this. The power and authority that Jesus displayed in those works was never to be stopped when he left planet Earth. I'm going to say that again. The power and authority that Jesus displayed in the works that he did was never to be stopped when he left planet Earth. This is why he told his disciples, his followers, listen, it's good that I'm going away. It's actually good. Because when I go away, back to heaven, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. And guys, the plan is... <laughs> That believers will be filled with the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way that they will continue my ministry. That's what he would have said. You're going to continue because you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, resurrection, victorious power of God. After the resurrection and Pentecost, the ministry of Jesus was multiplied. He was no longer contained in one physical body his power was multiplied. And I will say to you that he continues to multiply his powers every time the, the kingdom is expanded. Every new born-again believer receives the power of the Holy Spirit. And his intention is that Jesus' power would be on display in and through those people. So what Jesus says about us doing the works that he did and even greater works, Paul simply repeats in Ephesians 2.10. You are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Those things Jesus exemplified. 
Again, I should see some smiles. This is amazing, honestly. I'm excited. There are works that God intends for us to do right here, right now, in your life, in your life. He's fashioned us to be vessels of his grace, vessels that release his power into the lives of others by faith. He's given us spiritual authority, all of it, that we need in order to do the things that he modeled and to bring about his good plans. It's up to us to believe it and respond to it hmm. with childlike faith. Say childlike faith. That's all it takes is like a kid saying, okay, dad. I believe you, daddy. Mm-hmm. Stay close to him. Hold his hand. We can really come to know the hope of his calling, to expect to live in the truth and share what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to really come to know the riches of his inheritance those promises that he's left to us as an inheritance and intends fully to fulfill. Also, to come to know the greatness of that power, the immeasurable power of God. We, the, the world in which we live is lost and dying. They need to see evidence that God is real, that he's alive and it starts when the body of Christ takes her seat and sits with Jesus and actually is led by his spirit to impart the power of God into all of those around. Hallelujah. We live in an exciting time. He's raising up the glorious church and we get to be a part of that. Say amen. Amen. Oh my goodness as we are in tune with and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, we can really walk in these things according to the truth that Paul writes in this book of Ephesians. Praise the Lord. I hope that you are inspired. I hope that you're challenged. I know I am. Encouraged. Lord, there's so much more. There's so much more. Let me pray. Father, I thank you, God, for the more. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are teaching your children even right now. You're teaching each one of us about the more. We thank you, Father, for these truths that you have presented. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that the lion inside of us would rise up strong and lay hold of what you say as our absolute truth. Encourage your women, your children, your daughters, God, the whole church encourage us that we might walk in the things you intend us to walk in for your glory, God, that the world would see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen.